Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Friday, July 7th, 2023. I'm Mike Achapoli. All right, here we are. End of the week. Big Friday show. Big Friday show. It feels like a short week because it was a short week, right? We had four shows this week as opposed to our usual five because of the uh, 4th of July on Tuesday. But it's a big Friday show. And as usual, at the end of the show, I'll have a, a couple of film reviews. A couple of film reviews. I'm going to be reviewing the film Insidious, The Red Door. And I'll be reviewing the film The Sound Sound of Freedom. Sound of Freedom. That's a big one, getting a lot of, getting a lot of press, especially on Fox News, right? Everyone's talking about Sound of Freedom. So I'll let you know if it's actually a film worth seeing. Is it a film worth seeing? You'll have to stay with us until the end of the show um, to find out. It's worth it's worth waiting. It's worth waiting. It's worth the suspense. Trust me. It's definitely, definitely worth the suspense. Okay? Um, but we do have a lot to talk about <clears throat> before that. Plenty. Plenty to talk about before that. Uh, you know, I was talking yesterday about the great fundraising numbers that, you know, Ron DeSantis put up in the second quarter. And what's interesting is if you go on the interweb, you'll find a lot of stories about it, right? A lot of stories about how he blew Trump out of the water and how if you combine the money he raised along with his PAC, never back down, it was like 130, 140 million to Trump's 35 million. That includes Trump's money that he raised in his MAGA pack, whatever the hell they call it. So it wasn't even close. It blew him out of the water. If you go on, like foxnews.com yesterday, you'll find that story. And it's written in that. It, the, the, the facts are there, right? But if you watched Fox News yesterday, there lead was that Trump doubled, almost doubled his money that he raised from the first quarter to the second quarter. So that was the lead. They buried the lead, the real lead, which that Ron DeSantis blew Trump out of the water fundraising wise. And instead, they made the story all about how Trump did better fundraising in the second quarter than the first quarter, totally, totally leaving out Ron DeSantis and the fact that he outraised Trump and his PAC has been doing fantastic in outraising Trump's PAC. So that's how you control a narrative. That's how you control the narrative, right? When you want people to believe that Trump is doing better than he is, that Trump is inevitable, you simply accentuate Trump's positives and eliminates his negatives. Now, we've seen this with news outlets, right? Where they, they simply omit things they don't like, right? often they'll omit the actual lead. They'll omit the actual story and create their own narrative. And that's what we saw with this fundraising yesterday, is that it doesn't go along with the narrative of the majority of people you see on Fox News. And obviously, obviously the narrative that the bosses want pushed, which is that they want Trump to be the nominee. Now, do they? why do they want Trump to be the nominee? We've talked about this before. Trump will lose. So does Fox News want a Democrat in the White House? Maybe. 
Maybe they feel that's better for ratings. But I also think it's because they lost so many people. They lost so many viewers with getting rid of uh, Tucker Carlson. And they know that the majority of the viewers they have left are MAGA, are Trump supporters. And they don't want to lose them as well. So they want to play to their base, right? They're afraid that if they are even fair, because we've seen this with MAGA, when you're just simply fair to Ron DeSantis, they hate you. So it's even though they loved Ron DeSantis and they would love Ron DeSantis if Trump wasn't running because they're insane and they're in a cult. So but they play to that MAGA base. And um, it's basically going to be that way until Trump loses the primary. And then, of course, by default, they will back DeSantis in the general election. But until then, it's going to be 100 percent Trump. Right. And then you'll get some people on looks like Will Cain who are going to be more fair. They allow that. Right. They can allow a few people to be fair. But most of the people on there, like Brian Kilmeade and, and uh, uh, Pete Hegseth and so on and so forth, they're going to be Jesse Waters. They're going to be 100 percent Trump. And they're putting a 100 percent Trumper, Jesse Waters, in their prime time slot in about a week and a half. So once again, this is like the powers that be that DeSantis is going to have to fight against. He's re- really going to have to fight against this because you're going to have, as I've said, the left-wing media pushing Donald Trump. We'll talk about that. I'll talk about that in a second. I keep on saying we'll talk about things. I'm going to talk about things. If you want to talk, you can, but I'm definitely going to talk about it. Um, and the right-wing media, most of it, most of it, uh, pushing Donald Trump. So you have the left-wing media pushing Donald Trump, the right-wing media pushing Donald Trump. And, uh, you know, he's going to have to fight against those incredibly strong powers of the mainstream media. And um, it won't be easy, but, but I think he'll be able to overcome. He shall overcome. He shall overcome one day. Uh, When I talk about the left-wing media pushing Donald Trump, As Ron DeSantis has mentioned, the left-wing media goes after him. They don't go after Trump because they want Trump to win. This is a big reason why they keep on doing these indictments and pushing these indictments. Because the left-wing media, the DNC, knows. They know that the Trump cult gets more enraged every time they do something bad to their cult leader. And they know that. They see how the Trump cult just gets so enraged and energized whenever they do anything bad to their leader. And so they're going to keep doing this because they want him to continue to go up in the polls. They want Republicans to vote for Donald Trump. So this is a great, like, I guess you call it in a way reverse psychology, where they're going to go after Trump. They're going to continue to do bad things to him because they know the Republican base will react to that by supporting Donald Trump. And the Democrats want him to be the nominee because they know, they know if he's the nominee, that Democrat will be occupying the White House for four more years. So once again, very strong forces. Ron DeSantis has to fight against most of Fox News being on Trump's side, pushing Trump, the left wing media pushing Donald Trump, and all of them are going to go after Ron DeSantis. 
So this is a, a, a battle he knows it's, it's there. And every day it becomes more and more evident. And it became very evident, again, with these fundraising numbers, where it was to anyone living in the real world. That's an amazing take for Ron DeSantis. The money he took in is just an amazing amount of money. And he blew the incumbent. He blew Donald Trump, right? Um, the former president out of the water. And so we're looking at these Trump rallies as well. And the numbers are dwindling. They're dwindling. And he lies about numbers. See, what they do is because they still have this idea they can fill up a huge stadium. So they'll get a big venue that can fit maybe 20,000 people. They'll get 500, 1,000, and they'll, he'll just lie. You know, you know where they do this, right? We've seen this. They just focus in on the people there. They, they Photoshop it to make it look like it's packed, but they don't show you. Then you see other shots, and you'll see 30 rows of empty seats that you don't see by the propagandists who run the campaign. And Trump will lie. I got 30,000. And we know it's verified about 3,000. So his, his uh, crowds are dwindling. And normally I wouldn't promote crowds that much, but crowds are a big deal to Donald Trump, right? Crowds have always been a big deal to Donald Trump. He always talks about his crowds and how big his crowds are. So this is important that his crowds are dwindling. His money is not do it doesn't matter of course as you get closer to the election more people are going to contribute right well people start to get more excited right as it becomes closer to the election so it's not a shock that donald trump got better numbers in quarter two than quarter one i'd expect him to get better numbers in quarter three than quarter two the big story that everyone in the media knows left right and center is that Ron DeSantis just blew him out of the water Okay, in the second quarter. So that tells you that people are very excited about Ron DeSantis and people that are starting to pull back on Donald Trump. What you're getting is a lot of those people who contributed to Ron DeSantis are people who contributed to Donald Trump in 2020, in 2016, and 2020. And this time, they're giving their money to Ron DeSantis. What the left wing media might tell you, I don't know, I don't watch it anymore. But what Fox News is certainly not telling you is that a good chunk of that money uh, that Trump is uh, fundraising is going towards his defense. So people are paying for him to keep his ass out of jail. Nothing to do with his campaign. You see, Trump is using that money for his own defense instead of using his own money. He's using the money that it shouldn't be legal, but evidently for some reason it is. And he's using it for his his defense. That is also something that they don't tell you on Fox. And the Trump supporters, the Trump cultists don't want you to know. That money is being totally wasted. It's not going towards a, a campaign. So where, of course, Ron DeSantis' money is going towards his campaign. It's almost like when you give to a charity and the charity doesn't tell you that half the money is going out the window. Half the money is going to their staff, right? Half the money is going to the people who run the charity, right? That's why we like charities like um, uh, Folds of Honor and uh, Tunnels of Towers because we know that, you know, Tunnels of Towers, I think it's like 96% of the money goes directly to building those homes, right? So that's the stuff you want to know. 
So the Trump campaign is not being upfront about how much of that money is going towards his election and how much of that money is going towards keeping his fat ass out of jail. Um, so all that being said, this is where you're going to get like the real news. And it'll be a podcast like my own where you're going to get the real news about this campaign, right? Real news about the crowd size, real news about where the money's going, how much money's being raised, what the polls are really saying. Except when you watch Fox, which is such a huge outlet for so many MAGA people, they only get the narrative that Fox wants to push. And that is the narrative that Trump's inevitable, which is in line with the narrative the left is pushing that Trump's inevitable because they both want him for different reasons to be the the candidate. But it all comes down to to selfish reasons, right? The left wants him to be the candidate because he's the easiest one to beat for Joe Biden to beat or, or Gavin Newsom, whoever it may be. And people on Fox want him to be the candidate because they are just in the, in the cult of Trump. And Trump also is big money, right? Trump gets money. Trump gets ratings, right? So that also goes into their calculations of who they want to be the nominee. Trump gets ratings running for president. Trump gets ratings as president. It's just the way it goes. So this is, and that's also another reason why the left, see, the left and right are aligned. Big media is aligned because they both want Trump's ratings. The left will bitch and moan about how horrible he is and, oh, my God, the country is going to be destroyed by him. But at the same time, they make so much money when he's president because he gets ratings, right? And so he gets these incredible ratings. Um, and uh, and that's why they really as, – but this way, as people in that business – who run that business, who make their money and they're living off that business, they want him in the Oval Office. Now, maybe personally, their politics, they don't want him in the Oval Office. But believe me, money, if you will, trumps politics, all right? The ratings trumps personal politics in the end. So there are these very, um, you know, selfish reasons why the media, the big media is pushing, is pushing Donald Trump. And this is often the case. The media very rarely pushes the best candidate for you and me, right? Very rarely do they push the best candidate for the country. They push the best candidate for them selfishly. And it's, as we've said on this show, it's a common term, follow the money. Simply follow the money, okay? Um, so... I think, once again, in order to get the real story of this campaign, you're going to have to come to podcasts like this. You know, you can't trust, you cannot trust the uh, the media. Another aspect of this are these debates that start, I believe, August twenty fourth. Don't quote me on that, but around then, and that'll be the first debate. And you know, Trump is bitching and moaning. Just like he did. They won't, once again, they won't seem to remind you of this, but he always, oh, he's, he's bitched and moaned in the past about not attending debates, that debates are below him, that all those people on the stage have no chance. So why should he even show up? Why does his fat ass even have to waddle to the debate stage to, to, to debate these peasants? So now he's once again, uh, says he won't debate next month. I think it's bullshit. 
because Trump ego cannot allow all those people to get all of that free time while he stays silent, especially with people like Chris Christie, who are going to be, you know, directly going after him. Uh, he wants to be on that stage calling Chris Christie fat, fat ass, and although like he can talk, and he wants to be able to refute him and, as he likes to say, counterpunch. So I believe it might be a last-minute decision, but I'm pretty sure you'll see Trump on that debate stage, if only because of his ego. But they asked Ron DeSantis, Will Kane asked Ron DeSantis, will you show up? And he said he's there regardless if uh, if Trump shows up. And he says, I'll be there regardless. I hope everybody who's eligible comes. I think it's an important part of the process. And I look forward to being able to be on that stage, introducing our candidacy and our vision and our leadership to a wide audience. So he'll be there. He'll be there. But trust me, trust me, Trump will be there also. There's no there's no doubt about it. Zero doubt about it. You really think Trump's going to be able to sit at home with the TV on <laughs> and watch Chris Christie go after him? Watch Chris Christie criticize him and other candidates too go after him personally and not be able to respond? Do you really think that's in the DNA of Don John Trump? There's absolutely no way. There's no way he's going to he's going to allow that. So he'll come up with some kind of an excuse last minute. And it probably will be exact. I'm not going to let them lie about me. I'm not going to let them lie about me. He might say those words exactly. Let's see. The debate's in about six weeks. But I think those he might say those words exactly. They're not going to lie about me. They're not going to lie. I'm not going to let them do it. I'm not going to let them do it. I'm going to hit back. And so he'll be there. Um, so there's this, you know, once these debates happen, you think you'll see things change. The dynamics of these, of this primary will change. There's no doubt about it. Okay. Um, there's other stuff going on and, um, I'll get to calls in a second, but I think an important thing to talk about is, uh, is this idea of, of, of Joe Biden, giving uh, Ukraine weapons that I believe the United Nations have said uh, are illegal, right? And they're called cluster bombs, I believe. And so he wants to give them these, these cluster bombs, right, to, to defend themselves. I'll put defend in quotes um, because there are different takes on that. And, well, actually, the, the, the cluster munitions are known to cause grievous injuries to civilians. And uh, the weapons are banned by many U.S. allies. And now he's figuring on giving them these cluster munitions. And these weapons are known to not only injure civilians, but especially children. Um this is from the New York Times. On Thursday, Mr. Biden appeared on the verge of providing the cluster munitions to Ukraine, a step that would sharply separate him from many of his closest allies who have signed an international treaty banning the use, stockpiling or transfer of such weapons. Several of Mr. Biden's top aides, including Secretary of State Tony Blinken, recommended he make the move at a meeting of top national security officials last week, despite what they have described as their own reservations. 
The State Department has been the last holdout, both because of humanitarian concerns and worries that the U.S. would be drastically out of step with its allies. Now, Mr. Biden's aides think they have little choice. Ukraine, which has deployed cluster munitions of its own in the war, is burning through the available supply of conventional artillery shells. Mr. Biden has come under steady pressure from Zelensky, who argues that munitions which disperse tiny deadly bomblets are the best way to kill Russians who are dug into trenches. One American official said Thursday it was now clear the weapons are 100% necessary to meet battlefield needs. Yet for months, Mr. Biden's aides have tried to put off the decision, hoping that the tide of the war would turn in Ukraine's favor. Part of the concern has been that the United States would appear to lose the moral high ground. Oh, when does the U.S. really have the moral high ground? You have to be kidding me. Would appear to use the moral high ground using a weapon that much of the world has condemned and that Russia has used with a band. Horrible Russia, fascist uh, Putin, uses these weapons and we hate him for it, but we're going to give them to Ukraine to use also. The administration has also been aware that sending the weapons to Ukraine would be enormously unpopular among allies and members of Mr. Biden's over party. Over the years, many Democrats have led the charge to bar the use of the weapons by American troops. But come on, this isn't the common, this isn't the current day Democrat Party. The Democrat Party used to be anti-war. Who are they kidding? They're not anymore. Come on. This is the party of Hillary Clinton now. They love war. More than 100 nations have signed a 15-year-old treaty banning the use of cluster munitions, munitions, which rain down smaller bombs that scatter across the landscape. The weapons, which are meant to explode when they hit the ground, have caused thousands of deaths and injuries, often among children who have picked up duds and failed, that failed to go off, only to explode long after a conflict is over. Um, but why not? The United States and Joe Biden, Joe Biden's a war criminal. Democrats are war criminals. Republicans are war criminals. So why not do it? Why not go all the way with this, right? Well, you see, that's the way it's going. Remember, we're just going to give money. We're not going to give weapons. Then, oh, we're going to give weapons, but only certain kinds of weapons. And, oh, we're not going to give these illegal weapons. But, oh, now we're going to give the illegal weapons because we have to give the illegal weapons. You know why they're doing all this? Because Ukraine is going to lose. Something I've been saying on this show for a year and a half now, from day one. I laughed at this from day one, that Ukraine have a shot against Russia. It doesn't. It's called... A, a more a more powerful country over a small country. It's it's the way of the world, baby. It's David versus Goliath. Ukraine had no shot. Ukraine had no shot. Okay, and this is a war between two nations, two neighboring nations. This whole idea that we need to get involved in shit like this, okay, or that one nation's right and one's wrong when it's a war between two nations that border each other is ridiculous. This has happened throughout history. Okay. And we have to stop getting involved in this crap. But we know we love war. We make money off war. Uh, the United States is, uh, has always loved war. The United States has often initiated war. We did help initiate this war with our constant poking of, of, of Ukraine joining NATO, right? And now what do you see? You see, you see neocons. Big Trump supporters, remember, Lindsey Graham, one of the biggest neocon warmonger war lover in the history of war lovers of this country, has endorsed Donald Trump, and Donald Trump welcomes his endorsement. Mr. Anti-War, Mr. I Never Started a War, Donald Trump. Mr. Anti-Neocon, Donald Trump. What a fucking bullshit artist that fat blob is, right? Shaking hands with that sleazy warmonger, Lindsey Graham.
And now what do we get? Lindsey Graham saying that we need to do a resolution to have Ukraine join NATO. Just let's let's start World War Three. Why don't we just say it? Let's just do it. Let's start World War Three. Right. That's it. Because that's basically what all this is leading to, giving Ukraine these illegal missions that kill women and kill little children. These disgusting fucking bastards. This fucking senile old creep Biden who doesn't belong anywhere near the White House, who belongs in a fucking old age home, right? And now saying that we want, let's just have Ukraine join NATO tomorrow. Come on, let's just start World War Three. Most of Washington's closest allies, including including Britain, Germany, and France, signed on to the United Nations Convention on Cluster Munitions in 2008. The U.S., Russia, and Ukraine have never signed the treaty, arguing there are circumstances in which the weapons must be used. So listen to that. This was signed in 2008. This is 15 years ago. You guess who didn't sign the treaty? Well, what a coincidence. Us, Russia, and Ukraine. Yet we talk about how awful Russia is, right? The Ukrainians, Zelensky, talking about what a fascist Russia is. And yet it's us, Russia, and Ukraine that never signed the treaty saying, well, there are circumstances where we might have to kill children. You have to kill children sometimes. Mr. Biden was persuaded, officials said, after the Pentagon argued that would who Biden? Come on, he has no fuck. His brain is mush. He'll do whatever he's told. He's not even. He doesn't have to. They sign papers for him. Stop it. Biden's not 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 deciding anything. It's all being decided by the neocons in the Democrat Party. It's all being decided by the neocons who he's surrounded himself with. This is ridiculous that the New York Times continues to write that, oh, Mr. Biden is deciding. Like this fucking Alzheimer's ridden old fuck can decide anything on his own. Like he's making these fucking decisions. Are they serious? Jesus Christ, man. Many bomb experts say the dud rates of American cluster munitions are likely far, far higher than the Pentagon estimates. And then we saw what happens is that once the war's over, little children pick up these things and they fucking blow them apart. They blow the fucking children apart. OK. If they land in water, soft ground like plowed fields in muddy areas that can certainly impact their liability, cause higher dud rates, said Al Vosberg a retired army colonel trained in bomb disposal who runs a humanitarian mine action nonprofit organization. On Thursday morning, Human Rights Watch issued a lengthy report on the use of cluster munitions in Ukraine. Cluster munitions used by Russia and Ukraine are killing civilians now and will continue to do so for many years, says Mary Warham, the organization's acting arms director. Both sides should stop immediately using them and try not to get more of these indiscriminate weapons. In fact, the Ukrainians have been using the weapons since early in the war, often on their own territory. American officials said the fact the Ukrainians decided that they preferred to use the weapons rather than live under Russian rule has become a critical factor. So in other words, it doesn't matter if the Ukrainians decide we need to kill children to defeat Putin, then we need children to defeat it's totally worth it. This is actually what they're saying. American officials said the fact that the Ukrainians decided that they preferred to use these weapons, whatever the cost. What does whatever the cost means? Whether it kills women and children, who gives a shit? We're not going to live under Russian rule. We'd rather kill children than live under Russian rule. 
even though they all fucking sound the same, they eat the same shit, they're basically Russian. Who are they fucking kidding? Are you kidding me? American officials also say they'll work with Ukraine to track where the weapons are being used to aid in the cleanup of unexploded munitions. Sure, sure. Biden administration officials tried for months to scrounge up enough, enough conventional artillery rounds to keep firing at Russian positions. But after convincing South Korea to chip in hundreds of thousands of rounds and tapping American stockpiles of artillery shells stored in Israel, the Pentagon is projecting that Ukraine will run short. So they're basically saying, listen to what they're saying. The United States and the Ukraine are saying that even if women and children die in the thousands, it's worth it to defeat Russia. To defeat what? What are they defeating? And I ask you, is it worth killing women and children? Is it worth killing women and children to win a war? They're basically saying it's worth killing women and children to to win their little shitty fucking war that no one except the Russians and Ukrainians should even give a fuck about. As though they're fucking fighting, what is this, World War II? What is this, a civil, what is this, what is this World War I? What are we fighting, what are, they, what are you fighting, Nazism? What are you fighting, Hitler? What are you fighting, the concentration camps? What are you fucking kidding me? It's okay to kill women and children to defeat fucking Putin? Oh, no, no. But God forbid we should think these people have a neo-Nazi mindset. Oh, you can't call them neo-Nazis. No, there are no neo-Nazis living in Ukraine. No, they're just saying that if we kill women and children in order to win a war, it's worth it. Isn't that something Hitler would say? We have to kill Jews to win a war. Oh, well. And this is what's happened to the common. Could you imagine there's a Democrat president who's going to send a country illegal weapons that kill women and children? This is a party. This is the fucking. They'll tell you we're anti-war. This shriveled up old fucking. Fuck. God, you know how much I hate this fucking old Alzheimer ridden little piece of shit, which is what he is. He's a fucking murderer. He's a fucking war criminal. He killed millions of people with his COVID mandates. He killed the fucking economy. He made the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, kill small businesses. He could give a fuck because all he cares about is his own fucking corrupt crime family. The fucking Biden crime family. Him and his fucking whore-ridden son. His fucking crack whore son. That's all he gives a shit about. 10% for the big guy, 50 million from the Ukraine, 100 million from China. And this is what we're dealing with. This is the president of the United States. This is the guy the Democrats say deserve five more fucking years. Five more years. Five more years. Bill, calm me down, Daniel. You're always a calming force. No, I can't do that. Um... You are. You're a calming force in me. Well, I am. You don't have to admit it, but you are. I, I, you are. Good. <laughs> I am just as amazed at what's happened to the Democratic Party, our former parties, um, uh, as you are. Uh, it's, it appears at the present moment that the Democratic Party is about one thing, abortion. And that's it. <laughs> they should be aborted. They're the abortion. You know what? I'm totally pro-abortion when it comes to abortion. This fucking president and the Democratic Party, hundred percent for it. Yeah, um, it's it's pretty incredible. I mean, freedom of speech—they could give a rat's ass about that. Uh, War—they could give a rat's ass about that. I mean, go, you can go down the line. I mean, bodily autonomy—the only thing they could care about is abortion. 
they threw they threw all the men in, in this uh, country under the bus during COVID, forcing us to get vaccinations and wear a mask on our face and not go to our places of work. Um, so much for bodily autonomy. It, 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 they somehow have become a party that is solely about abortion at this moment in time. It's really, really quite astonishing. Um, well, they're about, I mean, we, could, they're about we, manipulating we, their ignorant voters. They don't give a fuck about abortion. They don't care about women. They don't look. Obviously, they don't care about women or children. If you cared about women and the lives, they claim they claim they care about the lives of women and children. Why would? And then they they want to send weapons that kill women and children to another country. So who gives a fuck what they say about women and children? It's all bullshit. There's no morals or ethics. Look, Daniel, I could appreciate it if they had a real moral or ethical. Uh, uh, aversion to being, uh, you know, to to uh, being anti-abortion. Okay, if they had, if there was a real moral and ethical foundation for them, okay, for them to be that way, I'd say fine. Let's debate it. They don't give a shit, Daniel. They just want to manipulate their ignorant voters so they keep themselves in power. That's all they care about, and they know their voters are dumb fucks. And they're easily manipulated so that they continue to do it until these people fucking wise up or just stop voting. I'll yeah, take either. I'll take either. When, when I say that the only issue that they seem to care about now is abortion, I'm, I'm not talking about the leaders of the party. I'm not talking about the DNC. I am talking about the voter at this moment. The voter has abandoned free speech. The voter has abandoned bodily autonomy except for, for, for uh, abortion. And the voter has is, 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 um, uh, abandoned peace. Every everything that the Democratic Party used to be about, everything that liberals used to be about, has been abandoned except for the abortion issue. You're right; they don't give a rat's ass about men, women and children. That the party leaders don't. Yeah, they never did at any time, even when they were ostensibly for all the rest of these things that made liberals liberals. Now they are nothing more than the liberals, uh, illiberals, as we keep on saying. But it's just it's just incredibly astonishing how they can one by one be just tearing everything that would the, the, the whole liberal edifice, the whole liberal ideology, just one by one. They're just destroying it. And it seems to be to me, it, it seems to be self-destruction that's going on here. And 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 and. I mean, you, you can't help but uh, entertain the idea that it's all due to broken brains, um, courtesy of Trump. <laughs> he, he he did quite a trip on this country, and it's why I don't want him elected again. Um, because, yeah, um, he was he's far better than Biden. He was he, he was um, he he probably would have done a, a, a lot of things that we agreed with over the last three years, but. He broke some freaking brains. And if we have people that are so susceptible in this country, having their brains broken like that and then turn everything that they knew inside out, yes, you know, right or wrong, we can't elect a guy like that again. <laughs> no. Well, look, we talked about it. It's, it's, he's just too, there's too much drama that comes along with him. You know, there's just too much drama that comes along with Donald Trump. And like I've said, yes, he's created... Trump derangement syndrome of the left wing kind of the right wing kind, and it's gotten to people's brains 
absolutely no doubt. I've talked about many times how the one-two punch of, of Trump and COVID really killed many people's. I mean, it just destroyed many, many ability to think clearly. It like it, it totally destroyed the Democrat brain. There's no it doubt. It certainly about that did. No, there's no doubt about that at all. But 100. percent Does my I mean, does my hatred for Biden come through, or do I need to work on it more? I think you need to work on it more. It's, ah, it's, it's, damn, I really, I really thought my visceral get, hatred of yeah. Biden was coming. Yeah, give me that. something to really calm you down about here. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm just trying to get. You know, I want to make sure it all comes through. I want to come through on the air. My hatred for this for this fucking guy. I really. Yeah. I don't think I've ever hated someone as much as I hate Joe Biden. I, I don't think so. And in fact, I know a guy who's hated him for a long time because it goes back to his uh, the uh, bankruptcy stuff. Remember when he wiped that hole out so you couldn't file bankruptcy? And he killed a lot of people. That's a Democrat, by the way, not a Republican who voted for that. And he hurt a lot of people. And this guy told me before, when he was running for president, I hate this guy. I fucking... And I said, you know what? I don't like Joe Biden very much. But he said, trust me, you're going to hate him. <laughs> oh, boy, was he ever right. Yeah. Was he ever right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you've probably been seeing some of Biden's tweets about the economy, Bidenomics, um, and all the gaslighting he's doing there with respect to uh, really shitty numbers. Um, it, it's, it's, it's amazing coming from a guy that uh, can't even count the number of grandchildren that he has. Well, just buying them out. I mean, this is that, that's a true scumbag. Can you imagine if, once again, Remember that what if game, that board game that you can help me develop? What if, what if, yeah, Bob, yeah. what if we can call it what if? Dot, By dot, Hasbro. Dot, yeah. What if dot 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 Trump? What if Donald Trump had done that to one of his grandkids? Imagine the left wing media. How the media would be. They would have their heads. Joy Reid's head would. It had been like. Remember that David Cronenberg movie Scanners, where they start shaking and the veins pop and their head explodes. Joy Reid's <laughs> yes, head would have exploded on the air. Joy Behar, every jo- every female Joy, would have, their heads would have exploded on the air if Donald Trump had tried to buy out one of his grandchildren with a painting. Yet Biden does it, and it's, well, what is it? It's a family affair. Don't get into the family affair. Oh, these people, I can hate them. Yeah, between between uh, West Wing cocaine and uh, set the seventh grandchild story, um, they'd be screaming the uh, apocalypse on the end of society if, if, if that was Trump. <laughs> of course, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Any of these stories that are connected to Joe Biden, if they were connected to Donald Trump, we would never hear the end of it. In fact, if the House were run by Democrats, they would have impeached him about seven times. They would have impeached him for each one. So it's, it's the, the double standard is so blatantly obvious. It's so blatantly obvious that it. I almost feel it almost feels unfair to point it out because it's so easy to point out. It's like I'm dealing with taking candy from a child when I try to point out the hypocrisy of the left. But it's gotten so bad, Daniel. It's almost like they and we've talked about this before. They're taunting us. They're like, yeah, yeah, we got control of most of the media. So there's going to be a double standard. And if you don't like it, Mike, too fucking bad. Yeah, the, the DNC is really the WWF and the Democratic voters are really the fans that are sitting there pretending as though somebody is actually wrestling. Uh, it just gets and 
you know, we've talked about it. California reparations now. They're bringing it back again, right? All they keep on doing is dangling carrots. They keep on, they dangle these carrots, whether it's reparations or, or student loan deferments, and they just dangle the carrot. And it's so obvious to anyone with half a brain that these things will never happen. And they're just done to keep people voting, keep people in that doom loop. We're in San Francisco. We know about doom loops. That doom loop of voting for them over and over again. It's, it's, it's just stunning to me how many ignorant people I'm surrounded by. Yeah, it sometimes seems to me like a bunch of 19-year-old TikToker uh, influencers got um, are, are, influence, are the prime movers and influencers in the White House right now. Because everything that they do is just so... Um, it's just so childish. It's just so, as you said, it's just so transparently wrong that you feel foolish pointing it out um, over and over again. But it's, you know, when, when, when do you see behavior like that? You see that behavior from children. I mean, this is, it's, it's, it's remarkable um, how they could flip-flop on every basic principle that, uh, of the Democratic Party over the last 40 years, um, except abortion. It is quite, it's just unbelievable. And here we are now, cluster bombing. Well, the, yes. And once again, if we can play the game till the end of time, right? Donald Trump. If Donald Trump had said he's going to send these illegal cluster bombs, which kill women and children, the left-wing media would be all over it. It would be never, a never-ending story about what a warmonger Don- – see, we always knew this guy was a fascist warmonger. Oh, my God, didn't we tell you he was going to end the world and blah, blah, blah. And now with the Biden administration doing – not just doing that, but then, you know, talking about – Lindsey Graham talking about bringing in Ukraine into NATO right now. It's – look – and of course, that's Donald Trump's guy, Lindsey Graham. That's the that's the yeah, here. This is the Lindsey Graham is going to help Trump and drain the swamp. How hilarious is that? That's hilarious. It's the funniest thing I've ever heard. But it really proves my point. Mike Cachopoli is right. I'm right that the Democrat voter and the Trump voter are very similar. It doesn't matter what the Democrats do or what Trump does. Their cult will never leave their side i mean 100 so political brand is taking on the swamp monster neocon warmonger and all of his voters supposedly these anti outside the establishment we hate war republicans we want to drain the swamp republicans and one of his biggest advocates is one of the biggest neocon swamp creatures ever created and they don't drop trump they don't even criticize him they're like hey we're definitely gonna vote for you now oh my god because we no longer have a functioning fourth estate. It's nothing but mercenary media. And, of course, they don't care about hypocrisy. That isn't their objective anymore. Their objective isn't to be objective journalists. Their objective is just to hammer away and hammer away and hammer away with the propaganda, just like COVID, where they created something that was someplace between the common cold and the flu into the zombie apocalypse. Never once did they entertain the idea that... They could not that they could be could be wrong because they knew that they were wrong. I mean, I can't believe people were that stupid. Maybe some of them were. Maybe that some were that fearful and ignorant of basic biology. But it's hard to believe that all of them were. But they went along with it, all of them, nevertheless. So this is the end of the fourth estate. And from here on out, we're going to be uh, long live the fifth estate because it's our only hope when it comes to the media.
I have no hope. I have no hope when it comes to the media. I have no hope when it comes to, you know, the, these these cult voters waking up and breaking out, breaking out of the cult. You know, I mean, look, it's not like it's that hard. I mean, you can if you're a Democrat, it's really easy to break free of this cult and vote for a Kennedy. Oh, my God. What? That's so dist- Daniel, it's gotten so bad, distressing for Democrats to vote for a Kennedy now. Could you imagine this? Could you imagine? Let's go back in a time machine to the 60s and tell Democrats there'll be one day in the near future where you will have a, a strong aversion to voting for a Kennedy. And they'll say, oh, stop. Kennedy's are the best. Kennedy's are the Democratic Party. So all they need to do to break free from the cult is vote for a Kennedy in the primary. Wait a minute. Republican voters who are cult. Trump supporters. The only thing you need to do to break free of the cult of Trump is vote for Ron DeSantis. Oh, my God. What, how distressing it is to think about voting for Ron DeSantis, the best governor, like in the last 50 fucking years, who they've all admitted is like the best governor in the last 50 fucking years. But they can't even think about voting for Ron DeSantis. It's so difficult for Republicans to vote for Ron DeSantis all of a sudden. This is how strong these cults are. Democrats can't even consider voting for a Kennedy, and the Trumpers can't even think about voting for Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida. That's where we are. That's where we are. Maybe we need to start hiring cult deprogrammers. Well, that's what we need. Cult deprogrammers. The mercenary media has been very, very, very effective in polarizing this country and in political branding. Um, and yeah, so we have people that, as you said, um, we, we can we have a long list of, 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 of everything that the Democratic Party used to, to stand for. And now they've dropped all of that um, except for abortion. And as you said, they can't even vote for a Kennedy. It is that distorted. This reality, this political reality, is that distorted from what it was only four years ago? Uh, yeah, I, I said 40, 50 years ago, but you're right. You could probably go as recently as just one election cycle ago. You're right. Right. One presidential election cycle was a big difference. Makes a big yeah. difference. That's it's, how it's, crazy things are. How quickly yeah. they've changed. Yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible. And that's, and that's all I have to say. Tonight. All right, Dan, Daniel, have a good one. Incredible. All right, have a good one. And we're trying to get Daniel to night. Tuesday night, by the way, I'm going to see Riley Gaines. Riley Gaines is going to be at the Liberty Forum of Silicon Valley. And uh, they have a monthly guests um, who show up and talk. And Riley Gaines is going to be there on Tuesday. So if you're in the area, if you're in the Bay Area, um, you should look up the um, Liberty Forum of Silicon Valley. It's like 20 bucks when Riley Gaines is going to be there talking. So hopefully we can get, we can recruit Daniel to come. Um, but yeah, it's it just, I cannot believe that's when I put it in those terms. And I hadn't even thought about it in those terms before that the cults on both sides are so strong that Democrats can, won't even consider voting for a Kennedy and a lot of Republicans won't even consider voting for DeSantis. It's got to be Biden and Trump. Oh, my God. Bill, isn't that insane when you put it in those terms? Biden and Trump. <laughs> I'm reminded of the Mel Brooks movie, High Anxiety, Mike. That's all I can tell you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. High Anxiety.
He's right. Bring us Madeline Kahn and Marty Feldman and Gene Wilder. I mean, who was the, the sexy blonde? <laughs> you know, oh, it's a, my God. <laughs> it's an insane world. It's an insane world. What yeah, else I remember that voice, that, hey, Zaiety, it's you that I fear. <laughs> I knew that would help calm you down a little bit, Mike. A you know, little, I yeah, a little bit of song and dance always. Uh... <laughs> yeah. We don't want to see you have a heart attack and call in. You know, we, we, oh, we lose you in a, as a conservative voice. You know what it was? We're I done. Reading, <laughs> I, I, I knew the story in general about wanting to send these uh, cluster bombs. But as yeah. I'm actually reading the story... With you uh, on the Times website, I I was getting more and more enraged yeah. with every sentence. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, this uh, it actually says, well, what well, what are you gonna do? You're gonna kill some women and kids. You gotta do, you gotta defeat Putin. And in the end, we know they're not gonna defeat Putin. So it's bad enough that we're wasting like five hundred billion dollars on this, but we're also gonna kill women and children. Well, you know, this is the thing, our imperialism around the world, Smedley Butler talked about it in War is a Racket. Um, he said, you know, Al Capone ruled five boroughs. I got five countries. He said, I'm basically, I'm nothing but um, muscle for the transnational corporations, you know, big fruit growers for Central America and coffee growers. And, of course, throughout the Middle East now, it's, uh, it's as uh, uh, Kamala Harris said uh, not long ago, she said, you know, all the wars have been about oil, uh, and the next new wars are going to be about water. Um, yeah, right. You know, right. Uh, and Mike, yeah. you know, we, we always go in for God, you know, gold, oil, and drugs. You know what I mean? That's yes. why we're there. Right. This is a shame. We, th you point out a very important thing. You know, people are killed. Kids are displaced, children, uh, famine is created, um, uh, mass migration um, from Central America into the United States to escape the despotic governments we've gotten behind. Any uh, democratically elected government, um, you can be sure the U.S. is going and coup it because then you can't control a democratically elected government. Uh, in Central America or in the Middle East, you see? Yeah. So this is why I have to, or, whoa, whoa, Gaddafi and Saddam want to get together and use a denarii or, or you know, some form of gold-backed uh, currency. Well, we, that's why we went in to those countries and, and to capture their resources. And Donald Trump even admitted why we're in Syria. We're occupying oil fields in Syria right now. And the, the whole region, the oil production region of Syria, that's why we're there. Um, remember you where, said... Where, gonna, are these, where are these anti-war Democrats coming out and saying this is ridiculous? You can't the, say the, these weapons. Where are they? Where? They're the, the warmongers. That's what they are. Of course. They're, it's insane. And what are they doing? You know, our military accounts for whatever it is, around $800 billion a year, I forget. It always goes up. Up. Yeah, somewhere around 800 billion, right? They count for that budget every year, supposedly. Well, now, if, you know, there's trillions of dollars unaccounted for every year in the Pentagon audit. Mm -hmm. Every year, trillions, not billions, trillions. Look, I recommend, I'm going to read a little bit of it in a few Go ahead. minutes, but yeah. not much. It's a very big article. I recommend this. Go to unheard.com. That's U N H E R D.com. And Thomas Fazi wrote a great uh, article yesterday called. The capitalists are circling over Ukraine.
Yes. The oh. war is creating massive profit opportunities. And once again, Bill, we've said follow the money many times. Read this yes. article. And this article will show you how capitalists are loving this. Well, you know, I'm going to throw something out to you. It's well known that um, <laughs> the bankers finance both sides of every war. Uh, Michael Rivera, uh, war, uh, wars a racket. Um, all wars are bankers' wars. I'm sorry. All wars are bankers' wars. Smelly Butler wars a racket. And this is more of the same. That, um, sure, I'm not saying that Putin doesn't have a right to go in uh, with our NATO expansion ever since, we, you know, Reagan uh, and, uh, oh gosh, Reagan and Gorbachev. He, supposedly, we made an agreement that we weren't going to expand one inch east of Germany if uh, the Soviet Union agreed uh, to disband and uh, take down the wall in Germany. And and NATO has expanded, you may correct me, is it 14 countries? Uh, the former Soviet Union, uh, many of those Soviet Union countries, and then the Maidan coup was backed by, in the Ukraine, was backed again, a covert proxy action by our government. Uh, Victoria Nguyen uh, is quoted as saying, uh, uh, you know, basically, fuck Europe. Fuck yeah. Europe. You know, remember that? Yeah. You know, we're going to put in who we want. Yeah. Then we had the Maidan, um, I'm sorry, we had um, the Minsk Accords 1 and 2, and it was Poroshenko and uh Angela Merkel, who came out and said, we never intended to abide by those, that eight years of treaty. We were just buying time to build up <laughs> forces. Yeah, exactly. And then you wonder, and in the meantime, in the Donbass, I believe it's the northeast region of Ukraine, 14,000 or so Ukrainians died, and, and they wanted to annex, and Putin said, no, we're going to try and work this out through the treaty. And so you had some Russian special forces there trying to defend those people. So you've had this ongoing civil were really going on back by Russia's trying to protect those people and that were former Russian. Well, they're, they're Russian. Most of them speak Russian. They, and what did, what did, uh, Zelensky, he banned the Russian language. He banned all the opposing parties. He made it, uh, even religions. Um, the, uh, didn't he also act against the Orthodox Catholic Church? I, they, I'm not they, mistaken. They, sound, they speak the same, basically. They sound the same and they speak the same. Yeah. I, once again, you know my my friend on this who comes on the show named Domestic. He's Russian, and he yeah. can't even tell the difference. He says you can't tell the difference. It's very difficult right. to tell the difference. So who's he kidding, Zelensky? Yeah, and you know, so the, the bottom line is, our generals are warmonging. You know, neocons get on CNN and MSNBC, and along with the CIA um, announcers and uh, Smith Modernization Act, you know, <clears throat> financed. Yeah. And they give us this total line of propaganda. And as we said, whether it's around COVID or foreign wars and domestic actions, uh, it's propaganda. That's what, And so people don't understand. Like, you you know, you've been in the business a long time, so you see through all this. And we need uh, to get – look, we, we know – well, I still want to get on record. We know where We know where Kennedy stands on the – sending these cluster bombs. But I want right. to, I'd like to find out where DeSantis stands on it. Well, this is my, immediately mm -hmm. where he stands on it. 
Yeah, remember I asked you about him because he was uh, at Gitmo, uh, supposedly acting as a uh, detainee lawyer. Uh, he was a lawyer. He was a lawyer. Yeah, and uh, he said he was, you know, not upper uh, in the in that chain of command. Uh, that he was lower in the chain of command. Yeah, he was. Um, and there was some force feeding going on that uh, the uh, detainees eventually claimed was very abusive, over force feeding um, at one point. And, uh, you know, a lot of those men were put away on the false pretense, uh, never had a trial, and then eventually released. Uh, we, you know, the thing that the important, the reason it's important to pull back the veil on 9-11 is because that, that's what prompted, you know, um, what was it again? The um, the uh, Patriot Act. Um, that's what prompted the Project for a New American Century, right? Remember? Yeah. And it was General Wesley Clark who said, uh, "If you can find a recording of him online, if you you may have seen it, where he's saying he went to the Pentagon." He doesn't disclose who he was talking to. But what he says is he was in discussion with one of his uh, 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 staffers, I don't, a uh, senior staffer. Mm -hmm. He doesn't identify him, so we don't know who he was talking to. But he says, you know, he said, well, he was told, well, it looks like we're going to go into Iraq. And Wesley Clark says, well, why? Do we have new information uh, on something? No. Well, I get, and so he said, well, uh, not Wesley Clark, but the, the Pentagon staffer says, well, I guess when all you have is a, is, is a hammer, you're looking for a nail. Right. And he says he goes back the next week, right? You remember this? You know the one I'm talking about? Wesley think, Clark? Yes, yes. He goes back the next week and he's talking to the same fellow. He goes, well, it's worse. It's worse than that now. We're going to go into uh, seven countries in five years. That was a project for a new American century, right? Absolutely. And that's what was, there were no weapons of mass destruction from, and there were no Iraqi hijackers. If you believe the hijack narrative, if you believe it, it was 15 Saudis, two United Emirates, one Turkish, if I'm not mistaken, and one Lebanese. I, I, I'm not exactly sure, but best of my recollection, Turkey, of course, being an ally, supposedly, Saudi, Saudi Arabia being an ally. And why didn't we just go in with special forces along with the Saudi uh, uh, you know, military and take out the Wahhabi terrorist cell. The largest terrorist cell in the Middle East is in Saudi Arabia. What bugs me, what bugs me the most about Democrats' uh, bill is that they're always screaming that the other side of the biggest racists, the other side are the biggest warmongers, when they are the biggest racists, when they are the biggest warmongers, and they keep proving this every day, yet they keep screaming. It's the other side. It's the other side that's racist. Mm -hmm. It's the other side that's the warmongers. And they, once again, with everything they do on a daily basis, they prove that they are the biggest racist, whether it's being for giving a certain group of people money paid for by another group of people, one race, what money paid for by another race, or mm -hmm. whether it's sending billions of dollars, billions of dollars that we don't have right now here to continue a war going. Right. That, that, that's all to continue the war going, not to stop the war, not to not to start the peace process. It's to keep the war going and also sending mm -hmm. that many Western countries deem to be illegal that will kill women and children 
and saying, oh, that's fine, because we have to because Ukraine, we have to help Ukraine win the war by any means necessary. I mean, it's 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 shocking to me that and once again, the only way they get away with this is because they have 90 percent of the media on their side. Well, yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll always spin it. They'll always spin it to their favor. Well, Anderson Cooper is is ex CIA. He was CIA. Anderson Cooper. He's um, Anderson but, Cooper. I tell you the truth. I know that he's really nobody. He's really the son of a rich person. That's all he is. Oh, I he's know. A, but he's a rich kid mm-hmm. who uh, he's a rich kid who, because of his wealth and his fame and his mother's name, he was able to get into CNN. That's what he is. He's a fucking rich kid. That's all. Vanderbilt. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, you see, the point you make. He's a rich is, kid. Mm-hmm. The media, the, the 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 mainstream media is his toy. It's his toy. That's all. Oh, yeah, he doesn't need the money. No, of course not. Of course not. But you see, BlackRock came out and said, of course, and the the central banksters, you know, heavily invest in Ukraine to rebuild Ukraine. It's a financial boon for them. Once again, war is a racket, Smadley Butler. You know what I mean? It's more the same. In debt, another country with, um, you know, all the costs to rebuild after we sponsor war to destroy it. Basically, and that, that benefits the military-industrial-congressional complex. If you know that Eisenhower's original speech included not only the military-industrial but congressional complex, his original draft, but that was he was advised to eliminate that, mm-hmm. create too too many enemies. No, this was the truth, and uh, and so this is all a, a, a profiteering expansion again for the central banksters and. Uh, that's what the Middle East was all about regarding, uh, well, the main thing there was to try and destroy uh, the use of an alternative currency. Any country that didn't wouldn't go along with the, uh, the central bankers uh, that wanted to, like I said, Gaddafi and uh, Saddam, uh, to attack them. For, yes. Right, and that's exactly what was. Now you have the BRICS nations. It's too big of a coalition now, you know, between... Brazil, Russia, uh, India, China, Saudi Arabia says they want to get involved. Turkey, uh, you know, the uh, Mexico. Um, so this it'll be a multipolar uh, world, which you know this is all a deep fake. If you go back and read about the Rockefeller Foundation back to the 1940s, they were talking about a multipolar world. It's been the New World Order has been talked about from Bush one. Remember in his speeches, we need a new world order. This is the multipolar world they've been talking about. Right. This is it goes back to our friend Dr. Um, Coleman. Remember we were talking about him and uh, the Committee of Three Hundred, John Coleman. Um, it's all rooted in that um, this world governance through the non-government organizations through the UN. Right through the UN, um, this is and the World Health Organization, and uh, the Bank of International Settlements, the International Monetary Fund, uh, the World Economic Forum, Bilderbergers. This, this 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 has been discussed on those levels since the forties. Yeah. Hey, Bill, I want to get to some a couple of the issues. Do you have anything you want to finish on? Oh, can I can I say a couple of quick things before yeah, you sure. close? I hope you don't mind if I just mention this real quick. Um, I, I, I put some things in the chat about Eric Holder and how he feels about the, uh, the judge's decision to say, hey, State Department, stop meddling with social media. 
Eric Holmes says it's a stupid decision. Well, I saw that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, really? I think it's a stupid decision. This is the same man <laughs> who is... We, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Unbelievable. This is the same guy. Now, you know, remember we talked about motive last night, want to take away our guns, saying we must yeah. convince yeah. Americans to think differently about guns, all those law-abiding Americans. But, well, you know, so we have to brainwash them, not just once a week but every night of the week and then you, you look at they did that in france they disarmed people in france and now how do those citizens defend themselves the law-abiding ones if they need to well at least right? they, at least they get out there in france and they protest right i mean they find they find their ways while people here sit on their ass oh yes but i mean if you have a law if you're a law-abiding business and a lot of times those businesses just get collateral damage Right. You know what I mean? Your whole livelihood can go down the toilet. Whereas, you know, if we recall uh, in L.A., uh, when there were the race riots, uh, after uh, Rodney King was uh, assaulted by four cops, remember that whole situation? Where was that? Compton, Mike? I'm trying to remember. In L.A.? Yes. Where there was, yeah. okay, you know, uh, police officers told the businessmen, you know, uh, protect your businesses. Exactly. Because they couldn't, they couldn't, it's overwhelming. The cops can't can't help at that point. Yeah, and, and the, so in the White House is uh, fighting the ruling, of course. Yeah, right. And so this is the problem. Now, what you know, think about a couple of quick thoughts, right? We talked about I just want to say um I you know, and I put in but they're way down the the chat now because Reza, we've been going back and forth. Reza's upset about what's been he been going on. Apparently, they eliminated a lot of his rooms and calling, and so censorship. But he's upset. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that that um, the the Alex it's a huge distraction. This whole Alex Jones thing, because when Mike, when the FBI crime table says zero, which it does to this day. And I say, you know what? Based on that and the work of Wolfgang Halbig, I don't think there are any murders. Because the FBI crime table says zero, still, table eight, 2012 direct link for Newtown Sandy Hook. Hmm. And based on Wolfgang Halbig and his assessment, the Jed Bush assigned school safety expert, Florida State Trooper, uh, school principal, uh, sold over 10,000 safety programs around the country, hired by many school districts. Based on his expertise in the FOIA hearings and Patricia DeLodra, yada, 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 everything I cited, I think, based on all that, I'd have to be blind as a bat to think, to think otherwise. See, zero murders, yada, 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 everything else I cited. Why would I think there weren't any murders? Yeah, Bill, I don't want to go down that road. No, no, but the point I'm trying to make is that simply this, that that with that in mind, there is no grounds for any of this civil action. And the fact that it happened, this is where I'm going with this, to suppress independent media like you, me, with fear of being lawfare to death. You see, that's the issue. That's the issue. And to take away gun rights, that's the issue. This is important because, you know, this issue, this case is emblematic of all these things we're talking about. And so when you want to stand up to this kind of tyranny we're seeing around the world, if we don't have freedom of speech and we don't have gun rights, guess what? It's going to come from France. And Klaus, there's where I'm going with it. Klaus Schwab said it's going to be an angrier world for a while until they get their whole great reset and their whole new world order established. And this is 
why you're seeing, you asked me last night also, why, why? To take away guns, to take the children and have them anxiety ridden. To make the, to, to, look, to make the people powerless. Yes, and, yes, and, thank and you. The, That's, I was trying to get to that. More powerful, the government more powerful. Exactly. Right. And, and social media, to look, at, you're not going to be sued. I'm not going to be sued. That was a show trial. That was garbage. It has no standing for all the reasons I cited. So don't worry about it. I'm saying to people, you have nothing to fear. It's all propaganda. That's of all course. it is. Of course. Bill, let, let me. Let me Thank you, Mike. I want to cover a couple of more things, but I'll talk yeah. to you next week. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Okay. I appreciate it. Okay. Um, I did want to just read basically the first couple of paragraphs. Once again. I want to remind people to go to unheard.com, U-N-H-E-R-D.com, and read the article about the capitalists circling over Ukraine by Thomas Fazi. But uh, basically two weeks ago, thousands of representatives from businesses and governments from across the world gathered in London to support Ukraine's recovery. But was the gathering of all those Western corporate elites at the Ukraine Recovery Conference entirely altruistic? They are, after all, massive profit opportunities being created by the war. Last year, the Ukrainian government essentially outsourced the entire post-war reconstruction to BlackRock, the world's largest asset management firm. They signed an agreement to provide advisory support for designing an investment framework with the goal of creating opportunities for both public and private investors to participate in the future reconstruction recovery of the Ukrainian economy. In February, J.P. Morgan was brought on as well. The two banks will run the Ukraine Development Fund, which aims to raise private investment in projects potentially worth hundreds of billions, with a B, of dollars across sectors including tech, natural resources, agriculture, and health. BlackRock and J.P. Morgan are donating their services, but as the Financial Times noted, the work will give them an early look at possible investments in the country. The opportunities are significant particularly in the agriculture sector. Ukraine is home to a quarter of the world's Chernozem, black earth, and an extraordinarily fertile soil. Before the war, it was top world's top producer of sunflower meal, oil and seed, and one of the biggest exporters of corn and wheat. For certain, from certain perspectives, the war is clearly good for business. Indeed, the greater the destruction, the greater the opportunities for reconstruction. Sounds like... Uh, a great reset of Ukraine. At Davos this year, Larry Fink, we love that name, don't we? CEO of BlackRock. Uh, Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, said he hoped the initiative would turn the country into a beacon of capitalism. David Solomon, CEO of Goldman Sachs, also spoke cheerily of Ukraine's post-war future. There's no question, he said, that as you rebuild, there'll be good economic incentives for real return and real investment. Look, everyone needs to read this. This article goes on and on and on, showing how, once again, they're making money off the war. As usual, the capitalists are circling over. When he says circling over Ukraine, the visual I get is like, um, when you go to a game here, it's in San Francisco at Oracle Park, Towards the end of the game, you get uh, all the birds, right? All the birds, the seagulls, and they circle over the stadium. It looks kind of eerie, but you get used to it after going to a few games. And what they do is they dive in and collect any of the scraps. 
any of the scraps that people have left, which I'm sure people leave a lot of food there, right? So they can feed off of the 30 or 40,000 people who had been eating this food at the stadium. And they circle and they circle and they circle and they have this timing mechanism. It's amazing. These birds know when the game is about to end, when it's getting late, and then they just swarm in. And this, I get the same visual, the capitalists. Think of them. Think of these capitalists as these birds, these seagulls, and they're just swarming over Ukraine. They're swarming over the destruction. And once it's totally destruction is done and everyone's out, they'll swarm in and they'll rebuild and they'll make tons of money off of the death and destruction of the people of the Ukraine. So hope I gave you a visceral enough visual to understand exactly what's going on. But read Thomas Fazzi's column, uh, unheard.com, okay? Now, what I want to do, before we get to the film review segment of this program, oh boy, there is a, I have a patented Eric Adams, (laughs) Mayor, it's been about a week, this is a patented Shaft, Mayor Shaft Adams, and let's be heard, update. There he is, that man. Who is that man? Who is that mayor? Who is that mayor? Woo. Go, baby. You go, Isaac. All right. So that was, this is, this is a patented and let's be heard Mayor Shaft Adams update. So, uh, Adams, who many of you know, is a former police officer. He made sure he said that about 10 million times when he was running for mayor of New York. He claims to have a photo of a fallen police officer in his wallet. And he has said that he kept that there for years by his, you know, in his wallet to remind him of the dangers of being a police officer. But now the New York wallpapers is refuting the fact that He's actually had this fall. Oh, it was a comrade of his. It was like a, a fellow officer when he was uh, a cop who was killed in the line of duty. And they are challenging that he's had that picture there for decades. Basically, what's happened is Eric Adams, <laughs> he had said that he had this photo with him for decades, but he didn't. So <laughs> he had his staffers make the photo look like it had been in a wallet for a decade to make it look like it had been worn. (laughs) Because after he said he had done this, the Times said, well, we'd like to get a photo of you holding it, this photo of this person, this fallen comrade that you've had in your wallet for all these years. And a little bit of investigating, believe it or not, my God, there might be a couple of journalists left at the Times they found Stafford, who said that he ordered them to do this, to make this photo, make it look like it had been in his wallet, when, of course, he it was a total lie. Um, I still think about Robert, Mr. Adams said, Officer Robert Venable. I keep a picture of Robert in my wallet. So a week later, he actually posted for a portrait in his office holding this, okay? Um, however... 
The weathered photo of Officer Venable had not actually spent decades in the mayor's wallet, according to the Times, that had been created by employees in the mayor's office in the days after Adams claimed Ted been carrying this in his wallet. This reminds me of like Biden with uh, corn pop, right? He talks about this corn pop, then he had to try to find a way to create corn pop because we know it was total bullshit. The employees were instructed to create a photo of Officer Venable, according to a person familiar with the request. A picture of the officer was found on Google. It was printed in black and white and made to look worn as if the mayor had been carrying it for some time, including splashing some coffee on it said the person who spoke with the condition of anonymity for fear of retribution. Good idea. Two former city hall aides who asked not to be identified said they were informed about the manipulated photo last year, not long after it was created. Fabian Levy, a spokesman for the mayor, did not dispute that Mr. Adams had photo to the Times at the police ceremony that had been recently created by a city hall aide. Of course, but now they're saying, oh, no, no, yes, it was certainly there for all this time. We didn't. <laughs> this is typical Eric Adams. Typical Eric Adams. I mean, and as we've seen with politicians, you know, namely Joe Biden, just making shit up, talking about corn pop, making up things, saying his son died in Iraq when it didn't happen. Right. And saying he was teaching at Penta University of Pennsylvania never happened. These things that he just makes up. Uh, what is it to make you seem more important, to make it seem like you a better person? I don't get this. To make you seem like a more well-rounded person, to try to drive home a narrative and there's no other way to do it. But this is very typical of Eric Adams, right? Saying that you carried a, I feel bad for the family of this of this guy. You're making up the story that you've had this photo in your wallet for decades when actually you actually just told your staff to make it look like the photo had been. Why can't you just say I knew this guy who I work with? We were friends. He died in the line of duty, so I have personal experience. Why do you have to make shit up? Why do you have to embellish? There's some kind of a sociopathic element to this, isn't there? I mean, this is truly sociopathic. To make something like this up and who, who, who suffers? Well, look, the memory of the person, the family of the person, people who are still alive, like Mrs. Venable, Ms. Venable, only 44 years old, that she was contacted and well, she was surprised to learn that the mayor had carried a picture of a father. This is a daughter, not the wife. This is the father. This is a daughter. Well, she's surprised because it never happened. I mean, these kinds of things are kind of disgusting. Some people would say it's a small thing. I don't think these are small things. I think this is a, shows a, a sociopathic nature to so many politicians. Remember, the Democrats went crazy. What, what the fuck's his name? The, the Republican in the uh, in Congress, Santos, who made all this crazy stuff up, and they said, oh, well, he's much worse. He's much worse. No, he's not much worse. They're all the same. The Democrats are just hypocritical. If a Republican does this, they're the worst person to ever exist. But when Democrats do it, uh, it's no big deal. Play me out, Isaac, if you can. Thank you, Isaac. Thank you. We're doing a lot of music tonight. There'll be more music in a second, but 
this is great because I want to transition to movie reviews, the Friday night movie reviews. And a great transition, actually, I'll let him talk just so I can uh, queue up something here. IMDb is uh, Garthic. Garthic, hey. Good. You could lead into my movie review segment tonight. Uh, what what movie are you going to talk about, man? Two movies: uh, Insidious, The Red Door, and Sound of Freedom. Okay, I, I heard Sound of Freedom was very. It has that uh, Jesus guy in it. Jesus the guy, guy? Who played you Jesus? mean the guy who played the Passion of the Christ? Je- yeah, Jim yeah. Didn't he play yeah. Jesus in it? Yeah, he was in, in yeah in Passion of the Christ. He was Jesus. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very knowledgeable about movies. I told you. He's not Jesus in this movie. Yeah, I, like he, okay. doesn't he play like former something like some yes, like former agent, agent yeah, yeah, uh, yes, government uh, home, guy, Homeland Security agent? Yeah, yes. yeah, D- DHS, and he quits to like save children or whatever from uh, trafficking. Maybe you could let me do the fucking review. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's dude, it. I'm in so much pain now. I played tennis for four, four hours today. Ooh, um, oh, you, so did you see pain. that movie that's coming out about the tennis? Players? Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be a joke. It's like every tennis movie is horrible, so I don't, I don't even pay attention. No, but it isn't really about tennis, but the characters play tennis. You know, I think they have a threesome or something. Uh, yes, yeah, it looks pretty good. It's by Luca Guadino, who I really like, I, so we'll see what happens. Every I, I saw the trailer, and I thought about you. Uh, how nice. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm just telling you. I saw the trailer. I knew they were... Wasn't there one by Woody Allen called Match Point? Also? I don't know. Yeah. yeah I, I don't need tennis. to watch movies by a pedophile. Oh, Jesus, get out of here. He's not a pedophile. He was investigated, and they found nothing. I don't know. It's weird that you're dating, like, your former stepwife, or, I mean, your former wife's uh, stepdaughter or whatever. You know, well, yeah, but she, but, yeah, but she's not a pedophile. She was, like, really I think, like, like four. Yeah, you can say that this it's, it's, it's very it doesn't, make, it doesn't, it doesn't mean he's into six-year-olds. I, I know. Well, no, uh, uh, well, Woody Allen's a big tennis fan, actually. He is. I yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, he he's been at like many big tennis matches. Yeah, and throughout his films, there's tennis and other. Oh, films. is there? Okay, I yeah. didn't even notice. Well, I, I guess that makes sense because he's a tennis fan. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yes. he was uh, at the uh, match where Federer broke the Grand Slam record, but you know, uh, Djokovic has broken that now too. Oh, okay. Yeah, your your hero, Djokovic. Well, I mean, he's been my hero for like. 13 years or 14 years actually it's all right we all need heroes so it didn't start it didn't start people i'm their hero for you it's joking oh my god whose hero are you mike your mom's you you're my you know you know i'm your hero you look forward to no i i i just like trash talking you that's all yeah i know so Uh, what else so so leading in to the film reviews i have john i got into like a big culture war fight last night A, a big who a big culture war fight. I'm sure you like it. It was about uh, trans sports. I'm sure you love it. And uh, kids taking hormones, like uh, trans youth taking HRT. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm sure you love it. Yeah, it was in Savvy's show, and I forgot how we got to this topic. Um, but it, I, I really don't remember actually, to be honest. But so I said, like, and even I mean, people on the left, like, or you know, left, right, you know, all all over the spectrum. And I said, you know, I think for a lot of people, it makes them uncomfortable to know that you know. Like at least like a small portion of trans youth at least are taking HRT and also that, uh, you know, some trans women are competing in sports against women. And uh, I have a question. Have you heard of uh, this person named uh, Lysol? Uh, Lysol? Like the spray? Yeah, his name is Lysol. Uh, have you heard of him? No. Okay, so this guy, 
he's insane. I'm not kidding. Like, he's really, like, he's insane on COVID, but he's, like, he's not trans, but he's, like, insane about trans issues. Uh-huh. And this guy, like, his whole shtick is that he loves to be, like, uh, uh, ho- holier than, like, he loves to be, like, as holy and, like, as perfect as possible. Mm. And he's from Orange County, and Orange County is felt like, which is in SoCal, I'm sure you've heard of it. It's filled with, like, super, like, uh, out-of-touch uh, 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 rich assholes that think they're better than uh, everyone else. Like Our, and, Orange County is not really that way. I mean, there are a lot of conservatives there, unlike much of California. Yeah, no, yeah, but trust me. Man, <coughs> they're, well, not, they're not the it, Hollywood it, elites. Yeah, no, but, 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 it, but he has an Orange County vibe where he thinks, like, he's... Uh, uh, Better than everyone else. Anyway, it sounds like a so, Hollywood. Is he a leftist though? Isn't it? You said he's crazy on COVID and uh, yeah, no, no. And- I'm saying like he's super crazy. Like, like, and like, and like everyone that talks to him, to be honest, thinks he's crazy. But because you know most people here are pretty nice, they mm-hmm. don't say anything. But but because I talk to a lot of people on here, like uh, I mean, like I private message them, yeah. And we all know that he's super crazy. Like he's really unstable. Like, so he, what was the argument? No, no, like, he, well, it wasn't like a verbal argument. He just started trashing me because Sabi has like, a, like, like a lot of people, like, you know, I'm sure she has like a like hundred people, you know, like uh, combined like callers and listeners. Yeah, but and, they're all um, kind of they're all kind of left wing nut jobs, aren't they? No, no, most people are nice. Like, it's very few people that are crazy. But I didn't like, say nice or not nice, but they're mostly left. I disagree, right? but like, that's going to take forever. I'm asking you, aren't they mostly left? Yeah, they're left wing, but okay, like the yeah. people themselves, okay, okay. like I talk to them, you know, many times, and they're all, you know, pretty great. But anyway, it's, it's just this, and no, this guy's crazy. Like, and I say he's crazy because if you disagree with them, I mean, with uh, with Lysol, he'll he'll just start calling you a hateful, a bigot, a transphobe, you know, piece of shit. And and I like I like you just said I just think I I just said hey for the most part, trans women shouldn't compete against women, and that you know kids you know shouldn't trans kids shouldn't you know should wait till they're eighteen you know to undergo HRT, and he was just trashing me in the comments nonstop like you have no idea. Well, okay, so yeah. some some idiot trashed you. Big deal. Is that a big? Yeah, deal? no, okay. he was such a moron. Like and, and no and 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 most people like actually agree with me. Like, Only like, a moron would trash you. I would. I disagree with you sometimes, but I wouldn't trash yeah, you. Yeah, no. Like, like, and most people are actually uh, defending me in the cup. Well, not most, but like, 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 uh, ma- ma- many people at least right. were defending me in the comments. But it was just like this guy, like, and like I said, he's crazy. Like, and like, like he, like he, he's one of those people that will like wear three masks. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not even kidding. Oh God! Like, well, super- right away, you know, he's in that job. Right. Yeah, well, no, right he away, still you know, thinks, and he wants like, like I, he still wants mask medicine lockdowns. Like that's how crazy he is. Okay, well, maybe he should go into institution. In institution, they'd be locked down forever. Uh, I don't know. Like he's just like I don't. Know. It's just weird. Okay. So, anything else? Uh, how, how are you, man? Have Have you seen the Flash yet? No, I haven't seen the Flash, but I've seen two films which I'd like to review tonight. You know. Oh my. Okay. Well, what can you tell me about Sound of Music? Because I I heard it's very good. Sound of Freedom. Yeah, that's what. Sound I of Music. Sound of Music. That, well, Sound of Music is also very good. The hills well, are off. Two different subject matters, but that's that's something. <laughs> I I'll let you know about Sound of Freedom when I review it. Why don't you just let me review it? You can't. Okay. So we, you know, by your standard, we can never talk about movies because you're too busy uh, talking about them with nobody responding to you. No, I will just, I will, I'm not doing the film review show, but this is not Siskel and Ebert. I'll do my review, then you'll know how I feel about it. So are we, okay, so when do we talk about the movies? Because you know me, I, I'm You and not, I talk about movies all the time. 
I'm a huge movie fan. No, 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 because you always say you would do your movie reviews at the end. But how can yes. we talk about the movies? You know, as if you can call up after you can call up next week and talk to me what? about the films I reviewed. You can call on Monday. Why I do that? You can call on Monday and say, Mike, I was listening to you Friday night. And you oh my film. God. I saw it. First you of know, all, I mean, I, I, I'm on here most for like 10 minutes talk and, about films, and then I go. Karthik, if we're going to talk, if we're going to have a dialogue about films, we both have to have seen those films. That's all I'm saying. So you can go see it and then call me and we'll yeah. talk more about it, right? So, okay, uh, when do we get to talk about The Flash? After I see it. Have you seen it? So you haven't seen it yet. I, no, I so that's what I mean. It. How can I talk to you about the? I could ask you to give a review, but I can't talk to you about it because I haven't seen the damn thing. Oh, my. Okay, and well, I what ask, movies... And I did ask you a couple of weeks ha, ha, have ago you about seen The Flash, this... and you told me about it. You said you liked it. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's, it, it's uh, I think it's good for a lot of, well, if you see it, you'll know what I'm saying. I, I, I think it's good for yeah. a lot of people, actually. Um, but I don't want to spoil it for you, so that's why I'm not saying anything much. Okay, have you, oh, can we talk about Indiana Jones? I, I know last week we did. We did. Yeah, there you go. I didn't care for Indiana Jones. There no, I thought, I thought it was okay. Just, uh, no, I gave it a mixed review, but I recommend it. I thought I did like Harrison Ford. You know, he he's great as Indiana Jones. I thought, but the, the woman who plays his kind of like sidekick is kind of a it's kind of dull. She's boring. Yeah, there's not, there's not much chemistry there, and she's kind of annoying. You know, yeah, I don't get why she was in the movie. I yeah, no, she she was she was just too annoying for me. I couldn't yeah, deal with her. I agree. And, and I think that for the most part, it's um, it doesn't have any. The screenplay is weak. I think some of the action sequences are are, are pretty well done, but it's kind of just like one, you know. The whole the whole plot dealing with this. Time Do you remember uh, the uh, Last Crusade? Yes. No, I th- that's my favorite. Like I love uh, well, all, uh, Elsa. All three uh, are superior. The, the, I think first and third are great. Like this I don't one know, wasn't I really. Think, I I think Temple of Doom is like a little boring to be honest. Like there's also a problem with this, and it's the same. It's one of the problems I had with the Godfather Part Three, which is that there's just too much time between the episodes right because one and two there's two years and two and three there's two decades and it's just too long i mean maybe they should have done this you know several years ago yeah maybe but you know also that whole idea of the time travel thing which we just get at the end i remember you telling me you like that oh come on man we can't spoil it for the three no no but it it seems tacked on there should have been more of that it was just like tacked on at the end no i I love that's a problem also i I thought it was great like i loved it when they met uh our comedians right because there should have been more of that but that was tacked on to the last like 10 minutes of the film there could have been more of that it seemed like they they just tacked it on to the end and i found that to be one of the more interesting parts of the film but you got to go through 35 chase scenes to get there have you ever seen the uh sword in the stone no, I haven't seen that. Okay, uh, do you know what? It's a, it's a Disney movie, you know, from the 60s or whatever, for 50s maybe. And so I saw it when I was really, really young, when I was like seven or six. Mm-hmm. And then I, they actually talk about Archimedes like, like a little bit. And ever since then, I, I, I've always wanted to see a movie with Archimedes in it. Mm-hmm. I finally got that. Have you seen the the previous Insidious films? No, the uh, th- that's a horror movie, right? Yeah, with Patrick no, Wilson. I, I haven't. Okay, just asking. Oh just no, wondering. you know what? I saw uh, uh, it partially because mm. I, I was like part of like a um, m- movie club, kind of like a little bit in college, 
And so we saw all tour, and I we I I was there the entire time, you know, because I oh. like, really you, yeah. you you know me. Um, so I saw part of one of the Insidious movies. I don't remember which one it was, but I saw part of one. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go because I want to get into the film reviews. Oh my god. Okay. Uh, so for once, you're kicking me out instead. Of and off. you can go see Insidious, or you can go see Sound of Freedom, and then we can talk about it together. How about Sound of Music? What what one bring it? <laughs> <laughs> I love Sound of Music. It's great. Yeah, it's, it's pretty great. I agree. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, I it's like it. It's a great movie musical. It's one of the best music, movie musicals of all time. How about uh, uh, High School Musical? Do you like that one? That yeah, one? it's good also. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um... Bye. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, you know what? I like Karthik, and he's one people who I would have on while John Williams is waiting. I mean, got John Williams here and you know, he's like, Mike, come on. I want to play you in. And Karthik's one of the few people, look, he goes away. After all that, he doesn't even stay around for the reviews. After all that, the guy wants to drive me crazy. Anyway. All right, John, can you play me in John? Thanks. Okay. All right, thank you, thank you. They'll be back if I don't take too long. All right, so two film reviews. Now, one is uh, called Insidious. I'll do this one first. And this is just a horror film. It's a series, the Insidious series, and this is the last one, the latest one, could be the last one. Um, and it's called The Red Door, and uh, it's starring Patrick Wilson, also directed by Patrick Wilson. Um, he plays the father. Ty Simpkins plays his son. And uh, I... I have to say, this is the first Insidious film I have seen, so I came into it cold. I didn't know any of the background. You don't have to. The film stands alone. And it, it's good in the way of what basically what we learned at the beginning is that whatever happened in the past to this family, father Patrick Wilson's son, Ty Simpkins, like a decade ago, they went to kind of like a, uh, uh, not a therapist, a hypnotist, and they wiped out their memory. And that's a really clever way to do this because we come into it, if you haven't seen the previous films, with no memory either of what happened to either of them. So we're on the same level going into the film, okay, if you haven't seen the originals, which I haven't. And uh, through the film, this is 10 years later from the previous Insidious, and the memories that have been wiped out are starting to come back. And it has to do with their past. It has to do a little bit with, without giving too much away, with... Patrick Wilson's father being kind of psychotic and uh, a very kind of a there was kind of the event that happened 10 years ago was kind of like a shining kind of a thing. Right. Where Patrick Wilson's uh, was kind of, uh, you know, psychologically uh, overtaken by his crazy father and his past and evidently tried to do something bad to his family. But all that memory of all that stuff has been wiped out. So neither him nor his son, who's now going to college, really remember any of it. But during the film, these memories start to slip back. They start to remember a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And that creates the tension of where the story is going to go. Okay. Um, 
there's a lot of like paranormal stuff. There's something called the further F U R T H E R where they can transport themselves into different, uh, spaces, right? Uh, they can go to sleep and they can transport themselves. And that also has a lot to do with the, their pasts and their, their history. And because there's this, uh, incredible drama, trauma in their background, yet their memories have been wiped out, there's still a very uneasy feeling. And so there's this tension between father and son, which play out during the film as the son goes off to college and the father, Patrick Wilson, tries to figure out exactly what's happening, why they're having these, why both of them are having these uh, memories creeping back in. Uh, I liked it as a horror film. I think it, it has great suspense. I think Patrick Wilson as director um, really um, is good at, at the suspense, building suspense and, 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 and timing the suspense and um, giving us enough time in between the scenes of suspense, whereas it doesn't seem like we're just being bashed over the head constantly with these memories that keep kind of slipping in. And also Patrick Wilson as an actor brings a kind of a gravitas and Ty Simpkins as his son bring kind of a, you know, a gravitas to the film. And it has a lot to do with this family drama and that family drama as it plays out adds to the horror. So there's a, there's like a, there's a real foundation behind this horror. There's a real reason for it. Okay. It's not just arbitrary and it's that family drama that's playing out alongside these suspenseful, you know, horror like scenes that really keep our attention. And I thought made it, you know, a really decent, I wouldn't call it one of the best horror films ever, but certainly something that keeps your attention and I think works on the level of, uh, of suspense and horror. So I'm going to recommend Insidious, The Red Door. Uh, so go see it. If you'd like a, a really solid, suspenseful horror film, I would recommend uh, Insidious and great acting and also, you know, works on a dramatic level too, not just, not just a level of horror. Okay, so the big one that I just saw a couple of hours before going on the air is called Sound of Freedom. And I've been hearing a lot about the film on uh, on Fox News and such, and how it actually made more money than Indiana Jones. It did. It beat Indiana Jones. And it, there's been some controversy around it. And uh, if you look at critics, they're giving it mixed reviews, and audiences are loving it. It's one of those films where you're getting a big separation I think the Metascore is 60, 6.0, and the, and the, uh, uh, the, the IMDb rating by regular viewers is 8.6. 8.6 is actually incredibly high, very high to get above 8. And I wasn't going to see it because the, the, the subject matter is kind of depressing, right? So it's about it's – it's a true story of a former government agent, right, Department of Homeland Security agent, who – goes on this mission to rescue hundreds of children from sex traffickers. So it's about sex trafficking, child sex trafficking. This is a subject that's that's not covered much. We don't see child sex trafficking made into Hollywood films too often. Now, people can say that maybe because those people indulge, right? We got Epstein's Island and stuff. And also it's just not a subject matter that many producers would want, right? Oh, this is kind of depressing stuff. Do people want to come out and see this? Well, yeah, they do, because it made more money than Indiana Jones. So the story in general, without giving too much away, you could probably read about this, 
is a a a former agent, DHS agent, made Pim, Tim Ballard, played by Jim Caviezel. You remember Jim Caviezel played Jesus in uh, the Passion of, of the Christ. Um, uh, is assigned basically to go after pedophiles in the United States, right? So a lot of this pedophilia, this child uh, pornography that people in the United States are looking at is made in places like Colombia and Bolivia and Nicaragua. And a lot of the children are kidnapped from Nicaragua and put into the sex traffic. We're talking about like, you know, six to like 10 year olds, really young kids, six to 12 year olds. And so his job in the United States is basically to go after the pedophile. And early in the film, we see him going after a particular pedophile who's looking at child porn on his computer in California, <laughs> of all places. And uh, we find that early in the film that he's captured almost 300 pedophiles. Yet there's kind of a, an emptiness there because he's never able to save any of the children. But that's not really his job because most of these children are overseas. They're not in the United States. They're outside his purview. But he he decides that after um, meeting a father who lost two children, we see at the beginning of the film, we see a, there's a scene where in Nicaragua, where this very attractive young black woman goes to this uh, father of these two young children and uh, and says, well, I, I've heard your daughter singing in the town square and she has a beautiful voice. And we're doing this casting where we decide where these children can possibly be in the in the in the uh, entertainment industry. And so he brings his two children to this uh, uh, office where they're going to have these auditions. He leaves them and the woman tells him to come back later that night to pick them up. Of course, he goes back later that night to pick them up and they're gone. And this is one of the vessels the film tells us how they molest, how they kidnap these children, right? So there are many different ways they do it, and this is one of the ways they do it. And so he, he gets involved in that case of that father who lost his two children, a young girl, younger boy, to this sex trafficking. And he gets involved in that, trying to get them back to their father. And it takes them into it takes them into Colombia, Cartagena, Colombia, where a lot of these um, a lot of these children are, are trafficked, and a lot of the traffickers exist. And he gets involved in that web, basically. Bill Camp, who's fantastic in this movie, plays Vampiro. He's a guy who used to be in the uh, in the in the Colombian cartels. And what he does is he plays kind of a double agent where he pretends to be a pedophile, but he finds these kids and he releases them, right? He, 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 uh, basically, um, emancipates them from this business. So Jim Caviezel gets together with him and they get together and they decide how they're going to try to free a bunch of children and find the two children that were lost to that father in Nicaragua. Look, this is all very tough subject matter. And a good thing about the film is it doesn't soft pedal of it. It doesn't, it doesn't disnify it. It shows it for what it is, a horrible, disgusting industry run by really, really grotesque individuals. But the film makes it clear that this is a huge deal. In fact, at the end, we get some statistics showing how many millions of children are abducted around the world and are, you know, in the sex trafficking business. And a lot of the child pornography comes from these sex traffickers. Uh, the film could have been shorter. It's about two hours and 15 minutes. And there were a couple of basic set pieces that were involved with Tim Ballard's mission. 
And the first one was Tim Ballard goes to Columbia, gets together with Bill Camp, and they, they make this fake they basically they they buy this fake island with the help of a millionaire and they they lure in the sex traffickers into believing this is an island kind of like an Epstein island where they can bring all the kids and they can have these wild sex parties and all these dis- disgusting pedophiles can get together and have a great time on this millionaire's island and that's the first set piece that they use to try to arrest these people and rescue some of these children. But unfortunately in that mission, he's not able to find the two, the, the missing girl that he's looking for. He's, he's able to get the boy, but not the girl. And so there's a second set piece, which takes him into like the jungles of Colombia, where he has to try to find the girl who's been abducted by this, you know, this, uh, um, rebel basically who runs his own Island, almost like, uh, Marlon Brando and Apocalypse Now. So the problem with the film is it it, it, it it feels like separate films, right? You have the set piece on the island, and then you have the piece where he goes into the jungle to find the girl. And it the kind of the the forceful narrative, the real uh drama around what these children go through and these parents that lose these children go through, and how incredibly devastating sex trafficking is that narrative is kind of lost because it feels like we're dealing with two or three separate films. The film never finds a way to bring it all together. I would have cut out a little bit of it. I understand they want to try to tell as much of the story as possible, but because it's so long and it goes through so many different set pieces, the kind of narrative thrust, the the narrative pull, the tension is kind of released. Um, So I would have, the editing could have been a little bit better. The screenplay could have been a lot tighter. Jim Caviezel is is really good. I've never loved him as an actor. I've kind of found him dull, but it works in this film. There's, he underplays it, right? He allows us to absorb along with himself and his character what's happening to these children, this horrible stuff that's happening to these children. And a couple of times throughout the film where he's at a point where the government may not let him continue with this mission. He says, what if it's your child? What if it's your son or your daughter and their bed is empty? And that's how he keeps this thing going. And we really feel how powerful this is, right? How devastating this all is. And once again, the best thing about the film is it doesn't over-sentimentalize it. It doesn't over-sentimentalize it. And it also doesn't sugarcoat it. Now, of course, the film's dealing with very touchy subject matter, right? We're talking about adults molesting young children. So the film obviously has to find a, you know, a um, uh, a way of going about showing that without actually showing it, of course. And it does a good job of that. I, that, I think, is the trickiest part of this film that the film gets right, right? Not Don't soft pedal it, but also find a very, uh, I guess, clever ways to make it clear what's happening to these children, obviously, without getting too explicit into into what happens so uh it 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 has to walk on eggshells sometimes but i gotta tell you something i might have a problem with some of the plot points i might have a problem with the film going too long um with the narrative force kind of being blunted by the screenplay but i have to tell you i i i totally recommend the film because of the performances of jim caviezel and also bill camp who's fantastic here. Absolutely fantastic. You might know Bill Camp. He's a, he's a character actor. He often plays in comedic roles. Uh, he's absolutely brilliant here. 
and the two of them together are great. But also the subject matter is so important. It's almost like um, the film Philadelphia, if you remember. That was like a groundbreaking film about AIDS, right? And it wasn't a great film, Philadelphia. There are films that have followed about AIDS that are much better than Philadelphia. But it was such a groundbreaking film that I thought it was worth recommending. And this is the same thing here. There might be better films in the future made about this, but it's such an important subject matter. And the film overall really does a good job with dealing with this very touchy, difficult subject in the best way possible. And even at the end of the film, towards the end of the credits, Jim Caviezel does like a two-minute pitch where he tells the audience, basically, we don't have a big budget for this film. We don't have the money to promote it the way other film studios do. And uh, it's a new film studio called Angel Studios. And he talks about, you know, there's actually a way to buy tickets for other people who can't afford tickets to see the film and to make sure people understand what a huge thing this sex trafficking is. And, and look, once again, as a critic, I've always felt criticizing film, you don't criticize what the film was about. The idea of film criticism is to criticize how a film goes about being what it's about. So you'll get, for some reason, you'll get left-wing critics who are going to say the film is crap because it's conservative, which it's not. I don't understand how you could say something about sex trafficking is political. Is there a, for, is there a pro-sex trafficking? We know there are groomers out there, but seriously, this is not a conservative or a liberal issue. These children that are being abducted are not conservative or liberal children. They're children. And there's one line in the film that stands out. And I'm not a religious guy, but it works. And it's where Jim Caviezel is asked why he's doing all this, why he's putting his life on the line, his job on the line to do this. And he says, because God's children are not for sale. Does anyone disagree that children are not for sale? So once again, it's not the job of a critic to say, I don't like the subject matter. The subject matter makes me uncomfortable. I think it's too conservative or too liberal. The idea is you criticize how a film goes about being what it's about. And this film has problems, like I said, with, with pacing and plot. But overall, it works, and it, uh, it really grabs you when it comes to the subject matter and how well it deals with it. So I'm going to recommend this film. I'm going to recommend Sound of Freedom. I think it's worth seeing. And once again, hey, maybe there's a reason why. I already saw an article in the Washington Post where they're going after Jim Caviezel, something with QAnon. And I said, well, this is typical. It's typical. Groomers are finally being called out, and they can't stand it, right? Groomers are finally being outed, right? There's a Hollywood movie, well, kind of a little outside Hollywood film, but a film a lot of people are seeing, more than are seeing Indiana Jones, who are finally outing groomers and child predators and of course the new york post has to make it look like jim caviezel is part of QAnon. why would you even do that why wouldn't a journalist a journalistic outlet like the washington post of the times want to promote a film that illuminates people about this horrible issue about child predators and sex trafficking wouldn't they be on the side of these filmmakers Look, you can be like me. You can be a critic and say it's not the greatest film. There are problems. But to automatically try to sully it by saying Jim Caviezel is, is talking, is, is bringing QAnon into this. Therefore, oh, it's all bullshit and we shouldn't see it, makes people think maybe it's not such a conspiracy theory to think all these people 
in journalism and in Hollywood are sex predators, or many of them are, and they don't want this being illuminated. Why haven't there been more films about this before 2023? It does make you think, and the film makes you think a lot. So I'm going to recommend Sound of Freedom. Okay, look, uh, the show's gone for about two hours, and I want to end with the film reviews. Reza, listen, Monday, I promise you, call in Monday. You could be the first call on Monday. On Monday night, call in and we'll talk, all right? Or anyone else who wants to call in. But I think I'm going to start my weekend now. So I recommend Insidious and I recommend Sound of Freedom. I want to remind everyone, the name of the show is And Let's Be And uh, it airs weeknights, 11 p.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific. See, it's getting late. 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern time. So have a great weekend, and I'll see you on Monday night for sure. But until then, this is Mike Cachopoli reminding you that your influence counts. Use it. <laughs>